0: Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 15th, 2019 called Behold, Spiritual Ophthalmology given by Pastor Jim von Busch. The scripture passage for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 48. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed.
1: God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, there was this cartoon that came out a long, long time ago. In fact, 1949 was the first time this cartoon came out. Actually, I think it's it's uh, pretty amazing that what they could do in those days with, you know, now we have CGI and all that kind of stuff. But it was the cartoon Mr. Magoo. Anybody remember that? Mr. Magoo. Came out in 1949 I was still watching it. Yes, no, just kidding. Um, but it's about a healthy, retired individual who is a little bit myopic, a little bit nearsighted, and he gets into all kinds of scrapes because of it. So I have the opening intro to that old cartoon for your enjoyment. Road. Home. Mr. Magoo, a little bit, you know, and and so we had this, and every show was about all the havoc he would create, things that would go poorly just because he couldn't see what was happening or coming. I mean, it got a little uh, discombobulated there at the beginning, but he's on the railroad tracks, and he calls the the train the one who's hogging the road, and then he goes to the barn and all that kind of nonsense. But the thing is, he would never admit that he had an eye-seeing problem. He never would admit that maybe glasses would help, never admitted that he uh, had a myopic issue. And so, it's something I think for all of us to kind of keep in mind that maybe sometimes we miss seeing the works and the grace of God because maybe we have a little trouble with nearsightedness, a little myopia going on in our lives. I'm not sure if I'm saying that word right, if Dr. Fornerado would hear. Myopia. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) So, and uh, I've had it since third grade. You'd think I'd know it by now. So anyway, but what I've got here is just kind of a list of people from the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, that also struggled with some nearsightedness. We start out maybe with Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to be the father of nations. But then shortly after that, what does he do? Well, there's a, there's a famine in the land, and so he heads off with Sarah to Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, he's like, oh no, they're going to kill me for my wife. So Sarah, how about you lie and tell them that you're my sister? And so he had a he had a nearsighted issue. He couldn't see the work and faith. He couldn't see the work and grace of God with faith. And so he was focusing more on saving his own skin. Then we have Sarah, his wife, who was told you're going to have a baby in your old age. And at first she laughs. If you remember that situation, she laughs. And then when she says, "Well, if this is really going to happen, I better take things into my own hands. I better get a son for my husband," and she says, "Abraham here." my maid And so she struggled to see the grace of God. And then there's Moses, right? At the burning bush God says to him, you're going to lead my people out of their bondage and Moses says, um, you know they might still have a warrant out for my arrest in Egypt I think I'd rather just, you know, I'd like to avoid bondage myself so I'm not going to go back there. And I, not only that, I, I, I don't talk so good. So maybe you should send somebody else. He had a hard time seeing the grace of God because he was more focused on staying out of trouble for himself, avoiding trouble for himself. Then there's Gideon. Remember one of the judges, Gideon? God comes to him while he's afraid and hiding in a wine press and, and, and doing his work, work, work with the wheat in the wine press. That is a tongue twister. But uh, God comes to him and says, you're gonna be a mighty warrior, and you're gonna rescue my people from the hands of the Philistines. And Gideon, really just kind of trying to lay low, keep a low profile, says, You must be mistaken. Let's, God, how about this? How about we put some sheep's wool out on the ground and you make the ground wet, sheep's wool dry. And then he, that happens, right? And then the next day he says, Well, how about we make the wet, the wool wet and the dry, the ground dry? And boy, every time it comes back, and I just hear Gideon. Can I ask again tomorrow? How about Can I ask again tomorrow? Because he was struggling to see. All he could see was this great country of Philist, the, the Philistines controlling them. And then last, you, you'll be familiar with this one, Peter. When he's in the boat and Jesus is teaching from his boat and all the people are on the seashore. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter says, you know, I've worked all night. We don't fish in the deep water. I'd really like to just clean up and go home. But since you said so, we'll go out. And Jesus right, a whole boatload of fish, a couple of boatloads of fish. And he says, Peter, now you're going to be a fisher of men. But I'm thinking that Peter is saying, oh, I had my own goals in life. And I was going to do them by myself. I was, I was going to accomplish these goals, the things I wanted to do independently. But Jesus says, no, you're going to do them with me. And you're going to fish for men. See, we got some, I think, you know, nearsightedness, spiritual nearsightedness is something we've struggled with from the beginning. But what we have offered here to Mary are the corrective lenses of faith in which then she can see the abundant grace of God, not only to her, but to all people, because Jesus will save all people from their sins. And so she now has these corrective lenses granted to her to be able to See God's work and, and grace with faith. As Pastor Dinger mentioned, there's five different times just here in Luke chapter 1 where the word behold is used. And, and so different translations translate those a little bit differently. Three times it was actually the word behold. Two times it says for indeed, I think is the phrase there. Every time it really means take a look, pay attention, Watch. And so that's, uh, that's what we're going to explore for the next few moments from Luke chapter 1 as we continue to see how God says with these corrected lenses of faith, then you'll also be able to see His abundant grace. So the first point is that Mary is a realist. Mary is a realist. Now you know the difference, right, between an optimist, a pessimist, and a realist. And a pessimist is like this. A pessimist would see this thing out in front and say, that's a really dark tunnel. That's just a really dark space. The pessimist would say, oh, yeah, but there's a light in that tunnel. Did I say that right? The optimist would see the light in the tunnel. The realist would say, that light is a train. (laughs) The realist kind of knows what's going on, right? The realist can see things the way they truly are. And so here I'll read again from Luke chapter 1. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? She's a realist. She knows where babies come from. And she knows that she hasn't done it. And so she says, this this just really can't be done. That's the phrase of the realist. This can't be done. And yet, the phrase, this can't be done, should not be spoken by those who trust in God. When God is involved, saying it can't be done is no longer an option because God changes the reality for us. The realist looks at things and says, this is the way they are. And God says, but with the lenses of faith, you'll see the way he sees them. So imagine for a moment, it reminds me of this silly old story about a couple of fish who are swimming along in the pond and it's just like day after day, they swim through the pond. But this day, as they're swimming along, they, they come up. Uh, an older fish is swimming in the opposite direction. So they kind of pass. And as they pass, the older fish says to these two young ones, So, boys, how's the water today? And they keep on swimming past. And then a few moments later, one of the young fish says to the other, What in the world is water? <coughs> you know, let that sink in for a second. They, they just, it's just where we live, it's just where we swim. You ask me how it is, I don't know how to answer that question. I can't tell you what the properties are. I can't tell you what it's like. It's just water. It's where we live. It's the reality we're in. And I think sometimes that's what we end up with when we are realists, when we just look around us and we say it in different ways. Like I said, we expect tomorrow to be the same as yesterday because that's just the way things are. And we expect certain things in life or certain things to happen or because that's just the way things are. That's, that's real life. That's reality. <coughs> And so Mary is saying, you know, I I know how things work in this world and that's not it. right? Conceiving is not how things typically work. But yet faith, faith in God reveals to us what we could not see before. Faith reveals to us what we could not see before. So God says in this first behold that we're looking at, this first pay attention, He says, watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. Which leads us to the second point then. Gabriel invites Mary to believe. That's the invitation. When Mary says, in reality this doesn't work this way, Gabriel says, I invite you to believe. And he says, with emphasis, he says, now indeed, another, right, behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Listen, For with God, nothing is impossible. It's a whole new reality. We had this snowstorm that rolled in. Boy, what a a joy, huh? Anybody spend more time shoveling than you wanted to? Well, yesterday at our home, after I had plowed twice and shoveled the sidewalks numerous times, I I was tired. I was worn out. In fact, I came in, I came in the back door, I took off my coat, hat, boots, gloves, made it to the front door, and it was snowing again. And I went, oh. Teresa says, it's going to be a long winter. (laughs) If you're going to grumble like that every time it snows. But I started feeling this, you know, I I felt like I was in Narnia. If you remember the books by C.S. Lewis, and especially The Lion, The Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it was Narnia was this magical world where it was always winter and never Christmas. And that's my feeling yesterday. (laughs) Always winter, never Christmas. But it's this magical world, and the situation is that Lucy, the youngest of the four children, finds her way into this magical world through the magical wardrobe. And but her, her siblings don't see it; they don't get it. And they she comes back and tries to describe it to them, and they're like, "It's not real. You're just pretending. You've imagined it." or you're lying, so stop it. I mean, those are the two conclusions they came to. But Lucy wouldn't give it up. She kept saying, no, it's real. I've been there. I've met people. We've done things. And so you just, just believe me. And from their point of reality, they're like, no, it doesn't work that way. So they visit with the professor. As you remember, they, the professor where they lived, and they say, we're concerned about our sister because she says she's been to this magical land of Narnia where there's talking animals and things of that nature. And... and uh, And we think we're really afraid that either she's turning into this awful liar or she's lost her mind. Those were the two things, the conclusions they could come to. So the professor says, okay, what do you know about your sister Lucy? Does she lie? Has she had a a pattern of lying? Well, no. She's always been the one who tells the truth. Okay, so we'll check that one off. What about going mad? And the professor just answers this one himself. He says, I've been watching your sister. She doesn't look like she's losing her mind to me. And he says, and I know something about that. So... If the first option is that she's not lying and the second option is is that she hasn't lost her mind, the third option of there really being a magical world called Narnia must be true. If you take away the first two, it leaves you with one that may be, be very incredulous. It may be, wow, that's out there, never thought about it like that, hard to believe it. But it might exactly be the true one. And so even in the book, this is a moment of faith. It is the opportunity for a faith response, a faith moment, just like the angel Gabriel has presented Mary with an opportunity for a faith moment. And it says, the Scriptures tell us, that as he presented this information, the Gospel, this one who you will give birth to will name him Jesus. He is the Savior of the world, saving people from their sins. And he he will, in fact, grow, and he will be the Savior, and he will be the King. And then he sa- and it says the Holy Spirit will do all this work. The Holy Spirit will do this work. And just like we saw in these waters of baptism, God is the one doing the work and is the Holy Spirit who works faith within us. And so even now, these corrective lenses of faith will help us to see what God is saying He will do. And it is invitation to believe. Because God's reality, very different than our reality, God's reality is based on what He can do. And everything, as you have heard, is possible for him. And so, in fact, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, not only look what God's doing for you, but look what he's doing for your your cousin Elizabeth. She was barren. She's in old age, and yet she is six months pregnant. And so look at what else God is doing. So Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, brings us to the third point. Elizabeth testifies to God's faithfulness. Testifies to God's faithfulness. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she, speaking of Mary, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. There will be a fulfillment. Can't see it yet. Mary's just received the news. She's not showing. But it will be fulfilled. I have the opportunity to travel periodically. Air, tra- air travel, uh, planes and whatnot. And I've noticed recently that the, the carrier that I go with, when you land at your destination, they say this, these phrases, almost verbatim. I want to be the first one to welcome you to such and such a place. It is approximately this time in the local uh, setting, and this is another on time arrival. And, and so, kind of really got to emphasize we, we promised that we would get you here on time, and we did it, just in case you weren't aware of it. We promised an on time arrival. And here you are. In fact, but then I'm, I'm curious about how this is working. And so on my app, I start checking things out. And I notice something very peculiar. So the app will tell me that this flight is supposed to last three hours and 30 minutes. But as soon as we take off, the pilot says something like this. Well, we're glad you're flying with us today for this two-hour and 50-minute flight. You catch a little discrepancy there? they told me it was gonna take three hours and thirty minutes but the pilot says we can make it in two hours and fifty minutes I think they're just kinda padding things so they can always make it on time (laughs) and then I keep reading it I'm looking and it says in fact for this flight from this city to the next city our percentage of on-time arrivals is and it gives a percentage and I was looking at this one that I was on seventy percent of the time they get there on time seventy percent That's C work barely and so (laughs) and so I'm like they What I I come to the conclusion of is they are making a promise for what's possible and they sometimes keep it. Right? They're making a promise of what's possible and they sometimes keep it. But listen to this. This is what God is telling us. God promises the impossible and He always keeps it. God promises the impossible and He always keeps it. What does He promise? He promised a virgin birth and. And what else did He promise? He promised so much more. He promises that this baby will grow and this baby will become a man who will then die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave. He promises forgiveness and cleansing. He promises acceptance and being welcomed into His family. He promises adoption and love that is unconditional. He promises the impossible. And He does it every time. Now, the realist in the room might say, well, it didn't happen for me, so it must not have happened. Or, you know, if you just show me, God, if you just show me, then, then I'll believe. Kind of like Thomas. Thomas, there with the disciples, they said, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see the scars, unless I put my finger in the nail holes, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus comes and says, Thomas, here I am. See me and believe. Thomas, here I am. Touch the scars and believe. And Thomas says, I, I believe, Lord. But then Jesus says, You're, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who believe because even though they haven't seen. Blessed are those who can have their lenses corrected. The lenses of faith corrected for them. You right here, right now, are invited to behold the history of God's faithfulness. That's what happened for Mary. The angel says, Hey, I know this is a promise that God is making to you and to all people, but He's also done it for Elizabeth, your cousin. Go see. See that she is already conceived and six months pregnant. See the faithfulness of God in the lives of others and those who have gone before you. The best thing we can do sometimes is learn from those who have gone before us to see what they have seen, and to believe what they have believed. And what they have believed is our fourth point. That God beholds you. We've been talking about beholding, paying attention, looking and watching. And the Scriptures tell us right here that God beholds you. He looks at you. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And that word regarded can also be said this way: looked with favor. God has looked with favor on you. And for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. You know, a psychologist by the name of Carl Rogers, and he coined the phrase, unconditional positive regard. Simply what he was trying to do was communicate this message that when we look at people, we should value them and honor them not based on their performance, but simply because they're human beings. And so we can learn a lot from that phrase, unconditional positive regard. When I went through my counseling program, I felt like I was the one in the room that had more reason to believe it than anybody because I knew that God had created all of us as image bear, his image bearers and that he has redeemed us through the precious blood of his son Jesus Christ. And so I can look at all people as Paul says, to look at those, to look at all people as those who Christ died for. And so again, Carl Rogers says we can use this idea of unconditional positive regard. Look at people with value regardless of their performance. But what I'd like to share with you this morning is that when God talks about unconditional love, unconditional love He looks upon us with this unconditional love based on his performance, what he has done, his creative work in you, his creative work in what he has done for you. So it's not based on our performance, thank God, but based on his performance. God sees you, he looks at you with favor, he sees the whole you, he sees who you are in Christ and what you are to Him. And so Mary's response, may it be done. May it be done as you have said it would be done. And she, her final, the final behold I want to look at this morning, she says, behold, look at me, a servant of the Lord. Look at me, a servant of the Lord. Wow. I mean, that is a humble faith response. She sees the grace and love and majesty of her savior who will be born as a baby to her. A humble faith that led to truly seeing God's reality. And so God's reality is simply this, that nothing is impossible for him. He is faithful. His vision is perfect and clear even though ours is broken. And he sees you. And he loves what he sees. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the grace that you have poured out upon us today. And so please, Father, as an act of your grace, correct our vision that we might see through the lenses of faith to see who you are and to see what you have done for us and that we might receive the abundance of your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This week at Grace Lutheran, we are having our annual canned food drive for the Christmas food boxes. If you would like to drop off some canned food here, uh, that would be absolutely wonderful. All of the classrooms have a goal of 300 cans. And if you know of a family or of someone in the area who could use a food box, please make sure to contact them and ask them if it's okay and then pass their name along to the church office. Also, Wednesday, December 18th at 7 p.m., we are holding our Advent worship service with Holden Evening Prayer, and this week's theme is Christmas in Denmark, with history and traditions of Denmark, with a dessert reception to follow. Also, make sure to mark your calendar for Christmas Eve. Uh, We have worship services at 5 and 7 with a Living Nativity and Candlelight, and then again at 11 p.m. with Holy Communion and Candlelight.